This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. In 2001, the New Jersey band Il Nino released its debut album Revolution. At the time, a revolution is exactly what it seemed like. An American band of Hispanics performing a melodic, Latin-inflected metal. Il Nino is still going strong 15 years later and now on tour performing their debut album in its entirety. I'm Matt Pikin, backstage at the Caboose in Minneapolis with Il Nino bassist Lazaro Pina. We look back on Revolution, talk about the importance of Latin culture to the band's artistry, and in the era of Donald Trump, the contemporary relevance and role for Il Nino and other Latin artists. Stay with us. Before we get to our interview, I want to ask you, the listener, how would you like to have a nationally touring metal vocalist record your outgoing voicemail greeting? Or how about joining me in an interview with a major metal artist for an upcoming episode of Metal Brainiac? These can be yours by becoming a Brainiac Booster. You, the listener, will always get to hear the show for free. But for as little as $1 every month, you can support the work I do and keep it coming to you every week. So please, can you spare a dollar? All the details are on our website, MetalBrainiac.com. And thank you so much for your support. Let's step into my conversation with Laz of Il Nino. You guys have a 15-year history, going back, I guess, even deeper than that, but right, 15 right. years ago for your first record. Why did you decide now to revisit your first album in its entirety on the road? I think that after all these years, we're always getting requests for more of those songs. We just kind of wanted to pay tribute to the history. We had a little time in between records, and we wanted to go out and tour, and it was a good opportunity to do so before we begin the process for the next record and kind of just celebrate 15 years is a lot to celebrate i never imagined it to last this long thought it was just going to be that one record and that's it really well talk about that back in the in the day you know you're from new jersey was even just getting to that one record was it a challenge even just to say we're making a full-length record sure was i am all of us have been playing music for years and various different bands i grew up playing with my two brothers my entire life you know, at that point in my life, I think I was content and I was grateful of playing music. I shared it with my two brothers. It kept us very close. As they started getting married and, and having children, I still had the desire to keep on playing. And so this project was kind of developing around my studio at the time. I had a little recording studio. Were you into metal back then? I grew up a metalhead. I'm a little bit of a punk rocker as well and New York hardcore. I love all kinds of music and, and, you know, I was very big on metal during my high school years. Metallica, Maiden, you know, were very big bands for me. I thought it was interesting, even from the get-go, that the Latino-Hispanic element was strong in the band. Even after all this time in this 21st century America, there aren't a lot of Hispanic-centered metal bands in this no, country. No, there aren't. There aren't, any, there aren't many at all. Why, I, I why do you think that is? I think it's just being courageous to express your culture and uh, the music that you love. When this band came together, for me, I, I, I was already, you know, I, I grew up in you know, the thrash period. Bands like Exodus. Testament. Uh, Testament for sure. Yeah. And so to revisit metal with our culture seemed very interesting to me. 
And when Dave was putting this project together, he was just kind of just grabbing up, you know, all the neighborhood kids. And my interpretation at the time was a cool side project to do something interesting. Just the idea of combining Santana with Metallica right. was just a thrill. But I never imagined what happened. Where do we develop how it into? Played out. I was just doing it for the pure love of it, of doing something interesting and thought it'd be cool. You just touched on something a second ago. You mentioned, you know, blending Santana with Metallica. And was that a conscious blend? Were you saying we want to further the Latino Hispanic musical elements? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was very conscious. And, you know, where we grew up, I mean, all the majority of the metalheads in, were in my neighborhood were all Latinos, but nobody was expressing the culture and the music. I mean, there were some bands that were doing, that were touching on culture, like Sepultura and Puya from Puerto Rico did it with yeah, salsa music. Right. You know, we wanted to do it more of a urban American Latino type of feel. How do you go about doing that? Obviously, you have a percussionist in, in the group. I mean, That's you right. can play timbales and some other things, but it's not like that plays center stage in your music. Well, no, it's not. It is and it ain't. You know, it's the grooves. It's the grooves behind our drumming and our, our rhythm patterns. We interpret it very aggressively, but they are actual rhythms that just makes you want to swing. It just makes you groove. You know, it's kind of like heavy metal you can dance to, but you don't know it. It's, it's, it's almost a subconscious thing. We were trying to blend it in a way, not to disguise it, but to incorporate it where it shouldn't even make a difference. You, you know, know, it's, it's just good. So, to pause, tell me this then. Was it more or less that rhythmically, it's just in your DNA, it's in your bones, rhythmically, and you didn't have to think about it, and you layered your, the guitars, you layered more crunch, distorted, thrashy guitars on top of the rhythms that are just natural in your bones. Right, right. No, I, I, it's the culture, you know, you grew up, with it, even if it wasn't your choice of music when you were younger, right. it was actually, you know, still part of the soundtrack of your life. And it was instilled in you and, you know, and you did grow up dancing at parties, you know, it was something that we just did. We also used to go into metal shows and headbang and mosh. So both things came natural to us. The rhythms were, were, were super natural to us. Maybe it is in the DNA. You'll see people playing the blues that haven't ever been through the blues, but seem to have an incredible feel for it. So maybe it's in their DNA as well. You said a little bit ago, you just saw this as a side project. You were Correct. doing some other things. When did it seem like, wow, the momentum is happening in a way we never could have imagined and that it began to take over your musical life? Well, it definitely felt like something special right from the start. When I came into it, there was no thought process of knowing where this was going to take us. Like I said, I was already playing music throughout my entire childhood. But once you got out there and started playing out in front of people, was it a quick embrace? Did you find oh, that fans got it? definitely it? felt something special. Actually, before we even actually played a show, we did these recordings and you felt a certain chemistry and excitement in the room, in the studio. And we were thrilled and we started sending them to the local college radio station. And they started spinning a song, and it started getting, it was like number one request. Before we did our first show, we had three songs on rotation. <laughs> and at the time, WSOU in New Jersey reached the entire tri-state area, was famous for its metal bands. And so it was very much embraced. So, you know, when you're driving around and you're listening to the station, you always listen to, and your songs are coming on throughout the day, it's a thrill. First El Nino show, I think we did like a, close to 700 kids. You knew there was something very special that was occurring and, and life seemed to begin to change from that moment on. 
we were signed pretty quickly too you know by the time we hit our third show roadrunner offered us a record deal <laughs> that's crazy yes. uh, uh, did you find even though the latin element was very conscious on your part did that play into how quickly you got attention or do you think people just dug the music and it didn't matter to people or they weren't conscious of the racial the ethnic make makeup of the band what I, was going on there I, I think people dug the idea but i think the majority of people really didn't have a, a conscious about it i think they just felt it and felt right and it felt different to them and it felt good it's, did it play it, into the music at all i mean you, obviously rhythmically you're talking about for the first record revolution did it play into the ethos of the songs for for sure it did for sure it did i think you know, the expression was real, and when it comes from your soul, and it comes from your heart, and they're real expressions, you can't really fake that. And so I, I think that people just gravitated to the sincerity of it. And mind you, at the time, you know, we weren't doing it to get famous. We were doing it to have fun. Right. So that's what really blew my mind the most. Sometimes it's best not to even try. Just, you know, be yourself and express yourself in the ways that feel natural to you. Can you talk about what Chris was singing about uh, on Revolution that embodied Revolution? What was in your guys' heads and spirits that inspired a record of that title? It began to feel like a revolution. We were revolutionizing the style of metal and introducing a new form and a new approach. Our music wasn't just for the Latino audience. No, you know, it's not like you were sing singing in Spanish. No, no, we, were, we call it Spanglish, you right. know, where we threw in Spanish words here and there to express it. At the time, Chris was clearly trying to express his travel as, you know, an American immigrant, not knowing his father, moving around a lot, and his love for music as an outlet to express it, to express his words. Right, and he wasn't you know, the original singer, right? He was the bassist, right? Well, originally, they put the band together. Right, your drummer. Which, that, all, that whole band, before I was even in the band, I was a part of, because all that was being created in my studio. But at that time, it was a hardcore band. It mm. was strictly, you know, a punk rock hardcore band with, you know, some angry Latinos, you know, and Jorge Rosado from the group Marauder at the time was the singer. It was awesome. I thought it was great, but it, it was also contrived to a certain degree that it wasn't going to reach any further why do you what than, do you mean by that why do you think that i think because it was just catered to a hardcore crowd and it was just a target audience as to when it became il nino at the time it was called el nino so when it became il nino and you know chris became the front man and the vocalist and you know me and two other cats stepped into the band you know and we created el nino it was more broad I you see. know, so it, it was more palatable to someone who listens to, to a variety of styles of music. So I, I think that gave us the opportunity. And I think from our first record, we had nothing to lose. So we threw in everything that we wanted, even almost a, a Latin rhythm ballad. We kind of set this tone for what we can do after that. So you said it felt like a revolution. You guys were doing something different. And now you've put out, is it, I think you have like seven studio albums, That's right? That's correct. So there was somewhere around like 2004, 2005, where you had a guitarist shift, Aru came into the band. Did you sense at that time a dynamic shift? Was there a change, a revolution, or an evolution sure. musically? What sure. happened? I'm a firm believer of evolving. I don't think any of us wanted to keep repeating our records. You know, mm -hmm. we wanted to keep it broad and open-minded. To me, it was a growth. You know, in what uh, way can you describe how you think it grew in a tangible sense musically? Well, when Aru came into the band, he introduced you know his expression to us, and also you know introduced also different dynamics of approaching songs. 
I read an interview uh, talking about Aru's entrance into the band, and just because he came from Machine Head, he, uh, he had sort of a West Coast sensibility. Was that a real difference? Was that something you guys felt, and did it make its way into the music? Absolutely did. I mean, you can hear it probably from our third record forward. So Aru comes in, there's this real sort of kinetic shift. How did that affect the songwriting and the creative process of the band? It was definitely an evolution. You know, we were a little bit more mature and it also introduced something new. So it was kind of refreshing at the same time. We didn't feel as much pressure on ourselves. In what way? You want to stay original and fresh and new. And so when Aru came into the band, it felt like it was a new band all over again. Were you feeling like at that time, maybe you, I don't know if you personally or the band in general, were you feeling like we're getting a little stale? Did you feel you were? No, not at all. Okay. I don't ever think we've ever had a stale moment. Okay. Believe it or not. We, you got to understand when Dave put this band together, he took all the leaders of all the other bands, <laughs> you know, so everyone here. I mean, let's just say there's a lot of egos in my band. Then how do you, how do you deal with that then? If you if you're if you've got these leaders, these A type alpha musicians, yes. okay, is it a democracy? But a lot of bands have a hard time having a collaborative spirit. It's usually one, two guys are the main songwriters. Right. Everybody else falls into line. How do songs get created with El, El Nino? I think it's because of that alpha desire, that alpha male. Everyone wants to have their voice heard. I think first and foremost, the mutual respect that we have for each other, the travels and, and the, the, the trials and tribulations that we have gone through. We have become brothers, you know, it's a family. And so there is a, a, a love and respect first and foremost. And, that, and I think that we all identify with each other's egos. Right. You know, and we respect it and we, we sit around and we listen, you know, and we try to. Uh, Has it always been that way? Yeah, it's always been that way. <laughs> really? Wow. I can't imagine that there weren't challenges along the way that you guys had to overcome. Uh, oh, it's a challenge every record, man. Every time out is a challenge. Everyone's got their collection of ideas and expressions that they want to you know, include on a record. When it's that passionate, you don't have a problem with working with it. You, know, you want to enhance it and you want to feel that other person's pain or desires right or but, passion but if everybody you know if you want to go in a certain direction you're you're feeling like i want to go heavy on this record and somebody else says i want more electronics and i want more texture there how do you marry it's a those compromise it's a compromise that we learn to deal with have you had to face down on a certain record can you talk about a certain record that might represent that sort of tension when we did enigma which was after we split from roadrunner it was our first record I think that, you know, some of us were so open-minded, like myself, wanted to experiment with things that we have never done before. And it was kind of a unique record to do because, you know, we all lived together for the first time. We, we were out, out of our element. We did the record in California, and it was just music 24-7. You know, we, we were so thrilled to be in that kind of environment. So, like, when you're a kid, this is what you imagine it to be. And on that record, to me, it was everything I imagined being in a band and making records to be like. Really? Yeah. I mean, we'd get up, head to the studio. We'd work all day in the studio. Then we split back to the apartment we were living in, and we all congregate there. And the music just took on another, another form. The acoustic guitars and percussion instruments would come out. And 
and the writing and jamming will continue in the apartment. And that would carry <laughs> us. And then we did that for almost two months. Did you almost wish you were recording in the apartment? Because, you know, I imagine inspiration would just happen I, there. I did. We actually did do a lot of like demoing it up in the apartment, you know, and then we'd bring it to the studio to try to replicate it. Okay. Or, or, or perfect it in the studio. But there was a lot of great, interesting things that occurred during that time period. By far, I think it was the most experimental El Nino record. Have you continued to record in that way uh, or did you depart from that and do you feel like wow you want to get back to that or what, what's happened since well, enigma I, I would love to get back to that it hasn't been quite that way since then you know we've all moved away from each other i'm actually the only one living in new jersey now and, you know i know that happens to a lot of bands like i deftones they're all over the place now right. chino lives in oregon you know how do you guys do it then when you're not in the same room with each other on a weekly basis is it all through Skype and trading tapes, MP3s? And do you lose some intimacy well, that way? You lose a little bit of intimacy, but you also gain more personal feelings for someone. Because what, uh, what occurs now is, you know, we all start putting down ideas. For me, the ideas are always coming in. So I feel like I'm always writing. Before I present a song to the band, it's, it's gone through so many different changes and, and time span as well. Does everybody do that, like kind of filter their own stuff before they present it to the band now? I imagine so. Dave, his groove is, is just a staple of the band, so it irritates him if we write to the music that he doesn't play. So if you put a drum part on but, there, like yeah, a drum machine or something, it irritates like him. That, so right? you got to be very, very general when you're writing to, to drums to make sure that it's open for Dave. <laughs> you know, unless Dave gives you, sometimes what Dave will just send us drum tracks and we'll write to them. Oh, really? Yeah. He'll just come up with grooves and beats, and then oh, you'll yeah. come up with whole rhythms oh, around yeah, those. yeah, for sure. Wow. That's you know, and he'll play them at Soundcheck, too, and you know, he'll say, this is why I want to work on this, and you know, you'll start thinking about you uh -huh. know, ideas. How has your own songwriting evolved, Paz? Were you very active from the beginning as a songwriter, or did that develop over time? I've always been a songwriter in my personal band. When this band came together, it was six dudes, you know, just throwing ideas, so... During the early days, uh, you know, Chris and Dave had a very strong input into the music. You had to kind of respect the space a little and just kind of throw your parts where, where you could. That's where I was getting to the diplomacy part. How do you know when you can be in there? When, whenever you find that hole right there, you say, I got it, man. <laughs> hey, I hear the verse here. Oh, I got a chorus part for that got an intro that would work killer for it right which is how you know eventually it evolves and then you you know you work your way into writing whole songs <laughs> right and i understand on your most recent studio record till death la familia uh you played a pretty big role in the songwriting right. uh talk about what you contributed to that record and how it bears your stamp well that record it, it was probably the most solitary record to write without each other explain that a little we more. all we wrote alone some of us didn't even see some of the other band members in the studio. Through the recording of it, you would lay down rhythm tracks and then be gone before Chris showed up? Yeah, or? Well, what we did was is that we all started writing individual songs on our own. And then we would just email the songs to each other. And then we would start dissecting the songs that we wanted to work on. What did you think of that process? I thought it was great because, you know, I love writing complete songs. <laughs> you know, on that record, it really worked. It worked. We had no choice to make it work. You know, we were all far apart. It, the budgets begin to change and it becomes very costly. You know, records are not being sold like they used to. So we were kind of put up in a position where we had no choice but to do it this way. I think everyone was going through their own thing in their head. 
You know, you mentioned a little bit ago, you know, when you left Roadrunner, Enigma was your first record post-Roadrunner. Right. And imagine the kind of record deal you had back then just isn't going to happen anymore. No, it sure isn't. So how has that changed your goals as a band, like in terms of like what you have to sell, how you make your way in this industry now? Because you can't sell the number of it's, records it's, you it's did a, back it's then. It's a completely different dynamic now. You don't have the luxury of living in a studio or a record company paying for your two months of wherever that is that you want to live. Yeah, you know, in some ways, you were lucky in that you came up through an era when there was still a record right. business. Tell me if I'm wrong here. But I, in a way, I would think you guys must have been a little spoiled because three, oh, for sure. three shows in, you're getting signed. Sure, you have sure. A so how did you guys adapt By the and time adjust? We, I mean, on our, our second record, a lot of money went into that record. I mean, granted, it, it is our most successful record. We had, you know, high-profile producers with Bob Marlette, some great engineers on a wonderful studio. Again, they, we all lived together. Everyone was still in Jersey then. You right. Know, and then Aru had just flown out and kind of like hitched up with us. That really is just a, a real luxury. I mean, you know, some of the greats still get to experience it. Fifteen years later, we're just very lucky that we can still do it and that we can still be able to share and, and express e ourselves with each other through music. But how did you make that adjustment psychologically from being this band that had support to now being, you don't have support. You're really on your own and your reputation. You right. have your reputation, your history. We had each other and we feel good. We're very confident in each other. You know, I, I respect my guys a whole lot, a great deal. I, I, I respect their writing, their expression. Everyone is extremely passionate. So as long as you still have that passion and that love and that desire to make great music together, you find a way. The same way we found a way to get together, just a bunch of neighborhood cats, to do this, you know, when we were all had day jobs and we would do this in the middle of the night, you know, and go to work with, you know, two, three hours of sleep. Right. Some nights straight to work. Before we get to the second half of our conversation with Laz, let's hear a song from Il Nino's debut album from 2001. This is Unreal on Metal Brainiac. <laughs>
Hey Brainiacs, I already told you about how you can become a Brainiac Booster for all sorts of cool rewards, but here's another great way you can support the show without spending an extra penny. If you shop on Amazon for anything, a portion of your purchase price can go directly to this show. Just use the link on our homepage and bookmark it. Use it every time you shop Amazon. Simple as that. Now let's get back to my conversation with Lazaro Pina of Il Nino. You know, this might be a totally whacked out detour of a question, but it just occurred to me in this political era when Trump is talking about building walls right. to people who are of your you know, ethnicity, yeah. does that come up on the road? Is there a political tension out there? And is that something you guys ever speak to at all? Or, or No, we, we do, and we're very aware of what's going on. Granted, again, we play the world. Yeah. You know, Europe is, is a strong market for us and it's probably responsible for keeping us alive. Which, Europe, Europe, Europe more so than, than North America. And, and Europe more so than North America. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. That happens with a but, lot of metal bands, I You know, guess. here we are trying to break down boundaries and then you got this clown, you know. I grew up in New York City. Donald Trump is a hustler. He's just a millionaire who's looking for power, will say anything. I'm not sure that he really feels the hate that he expresses, but he found a niche of an audience that were willing to to back him up and he's just going through it. I don't think it's ever going to happen. There are no walls, you know. There are no walls in this world from China to Russia. We go to all these Eastern European, these oppressed countries that haven't had the luxury of the freedom that we get to express here. I think the mentality of the youth and the people has evolved. Those walls that divide us, that go up, you know, sometimes, you know, it, it brings the tribal in humanity. But right. when you get to travel the world, you realize we're all pretty much the same. And then we have a lot more in common than we're aware of. You know, yeah. first and foremost, the music. What he's talking about, I don't see it. Right. We don't feel it. And it, we travel all over the world and all over the country. And you don't see it in American audiences. You're, no, you're, I don't even see it in the red states in America. Wow. You know, we get treated very kindly. That's awesome. People are generally usually very sweet and kind. It's a farce, you know. It's it's kind of creating an atmosphere that doesn't exist, and then it makes people think that it does, so they get shielded and put walls up. Right. But the truth is there are no walls. And, and about the wall in Mexico and America, it's ridiculous. It's never going to happen. Right. It's at net zero. <laughs> totally the same people coming in are the, are the same exact amount going out. Oh, I know. it is. A, well, people it's don't want to believe that it's a net zero right now. Yeah, yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, some people have a hard time with the truth. Right, that's you know? for sure. Do the elements... Out out in the world, the political winds, do they play into your music? Are they playing into what you sure guys are writing do. now? Sure they Talk do. about that. How has it come out in certain songs? Well, that- I, I think as, you know, especially for us as coming from a Latino immigrant culture, you know, when we're traveling the world, I feel like we're also ambassadors to let them know we are free and that we're trying to express that freedom and, and so that they can feel free and as they move along evolve into a more freer world yeah so i feel that we do have a responsibility to lot let people know that the world isn't as bad as we make it out to be and it doesn't have to be that way right do, do you think this sort of political social and political consciousness came to the band kind of in midlife or did you guys always have that or did you just become as you start touring and getting more worldly did it start developing that for way? sure for sure i i think you know growing up in america if you don't pay attention you're okay it doesn't even matter you know it's like this whole other society and noise that's going on in the background right 
But when, as you get older and you're traveling around the world, you get more conscious about it and how what other people are hearing and how they perceive us. Yeah, there's a real arrogance that that if you don't view it things the American way, then you're either wrong, you're out of touch. Well, it depends on know. what your interpretation of the American way is, you right. know. And they, obviously, there's two interpretation of the American way. There's that fuck them all, kill them all, what way? And then there's that humble and compromising saying, "Hey, we come here in peace." Well, there's also the American way realizing we're a nation of immigrants. Yes, you know? we, we, we are a nation of immigrants, and that's why we are representatives of the world. Right. Not that we need to be a bunch of pussies, because we're not. We're still very strong. We, we are the strongest country in the world, the strongest nation on the planet. Well, at least militarily. We've got more uh, military might than every other nation yeah, combined. And, and, and intellectual-wise, like. too. I think yeah. that in, in President Obama, the atmosphere and climate changed around the world. When we first started touring during the Bush years, there was this notion that we just wanted to kill and bomb everyone. Right. And we were not being respected and looked at as you know representatives of immigrants of the world so when obama came into problem with it it's just everything began to shift around the world and and america was being embraced once again as a strong world leader that influences countries to want to be like us yeah it's really interesting i hadn't thought about it you guys came in at the dawn of the bush administration that's right you know that's right. and so much has happened that well, we way travel the world where you know promoters and, and fans would say just you know you'd have to whisper certain things or or you know just don't be too american in these spots over here wow of you course as americans we were like fuck that we're americans <laughs> but we're not the Americans that you fucking think we are. Right. We're better than that. Well, getting back to revolution, you know, there was a real feeling of revolution back then against the Bush administration's policies and war. Yeah. And, and now that you guys are revisiting this record, what does revolution mean to you guys today? Revolution, I think, is also an evolution. It comes in cycles, and in every cycle it gets a little bit better. But the revolution never ends. Let me ask you, uh, before I let you go, uh, you said you're using this tour to revisit the past before you start writing a new record. Here's the interesting thing, though. We revisit the past and realize that the past has come into full cycle. In, know, what, in what way? Meaning that revolution is still going on. It's still going on, but what does it look like today as opposed to 15 well, years ago? Well, as opposed to 15 years, it, it looks a little bit brighter, that's for sure. But the light is not bright enough yet. Is there you know. a place in metal, like I, I interviewed recently Otep Shemaya, yeah, absolutely. fantastic protest artist. Yes. You know? Do you think metal needs more protest artists? It depends on what you want out of metal. You know, I, I think that metal needs everything it gets. I love that it has the protest artists like Otep or even Rage Against the Machine. Yeah, but r rage doesn't exist anymore almost. Now that it's rage for profit or profits right, of right. rage. Profits yeah, of, yeah. Right, right. And so I'm wondering what has happened or metal, maybe metal never really had the full-on protest artists that rage was as close as it got. Yeah. Well, where does Il Nino fit in in that kind of vein going forward? What do you think? Does Il Nino have a role to play? Well, believe it or not, I mean, being in El Nino, you still kind of feel like an outsider. You know, you still don't have many Latin metal bands coming up or many bands in incorporating their culture. Because our, our thing is not just to do it with through Latin music, but there's a band in Israel that wants to express Jewish culture into metal. I think that's great. Or the same when you get bands from out of Iran or Iraq that are expressing, you know, their culture and their music and their rhythms in the in the metal. I think it's a beautiful thing. You know, it can look very violent, but it genuinely is a peaceful and united expression with your metal brothers and sisters. Right, it's more about self-empowerment. Absolutely, I think. total yeah. self-empowerment. And that's what metal gave all of us when we were kids. 
And I think I grew up in the in the hood, but metal made me feel a little bit more empowered. Huh. You know, I know my parents were very strict. My dad was not having it. But at the same time, you had to know how to walk through that neighborhood. Being a metalhead as a kid made me stick out a little much more different. And it, and it made me feel and, and perceive. and it, it empowered me. Did people, other Hispanics, question, well, who is this guy? Because Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But, you know... Being that I was playing music at an early age, I mean, I was 15 already playing music with my two brothers, the CBGBs and Cat Club in New York City, you know, and then I discovered hardcore bands, you know, like Agnostic Front, and I was thrilled to find out that, the, you know, there were Latinos in the group, you know, and they were getting political for their times as well. Right. So all that made you feel empowered. You felt like you belonged to a, to a group, even though, you know, just attending a show made you feel like you were part of this social group. Right. You know, and it was very united. And then we'd all go back to our miserable lives, but we'd go back feeling good about it. Right. So, so give me a sense what we're going to hear from Il Nino in terms of new music. And what are we going to hear in terms of stylistically that might be a departure from what people might be used to hearing from you guys? And when, when are we going to hear it? 15 years later, there's definitely been an evolution in our, uh, in our lives. And certainly will be coming out in the music. Right now we're talking about the record. I know that I've already began writing a couple of stuff. I haven't presented any stuff yet, but <laughs> every now and then I'll sneak in some stuff in there and, and these guys will start jamming. They don't know that I've actually pre-written this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone is eager to express where they're at right now and music is always evolving and I think that we kind of want to stay in the mix. You know, Do you worry about relevance? Like, you know, is metal changing so much? Do you guys worry, like, looking over your shoulder? Like, uh, who, are, where are the sounds coming from today that uh, we have to absolutely, kind of... Absolutely, absolutely. You do pay attention to what's going on, and you want to stay sounding relevant. I'm glad you admit that, because a lot of musicians are like, we're like, nah, we just pay attention to what we do. I think that that's partially a lie. You know, <laughs> you really need to know what's out there. And, and also, you don't want to be the, a hog on the game either, you know, because you also want to allow newer bands to come in and introduce new things. Yeah, you couldn't stop them if you wanted to. No, you couldn't. You couldn't. You shouldn't. You right. know, I think it'd be wrong and selfish. But uh, obviously, everyone is paying attention to what's out there, and we admire those who are doing great things. My big thanks to Laws for today's great conversation. Metal Brainiac is a member of Jabberjaw Media, a network of independent podcasts about music and culture. If you like today's episode, you'll love all the others we've done since we launched in May of 2015. All our episodes are at MetalBrainiac.com. You can also subscribe for free through iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Matt Pikin, wishing you a metallic week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, JabberjawMedia.com.